I'm Nat Finley. And I'm Adele Herman. You are listening to And We Go On, a podcast produced by She Unites. We are a nonprofit located in Dubuque, Iowa, with the mission of uniting women from across the Midwest to build a stronger community through engagement, genuine conversation, companionship, and supporting causes that matter. Our vision for the show is to continue the conversation had at our monthly educational events for women by women. And now we go on. Hey y'all, it's Adele popping in to remind you that our episodes with Sharonae Baker are in two parts. This is part two. If you have not listened to part one, please head and listen to that now. It's going to give you so much greater context on Sharonae's experience being a first generational student in a modern educational system. Uh, if you would also like to read the transcript from her speaking engagement at She Unites in February of 2023, head to sheunitesiowa.com. Without further ado, here's part two with Sharonae. I remember last month too, you were talking heavily about how like your Colombian roommate, like your Mm -hmm. friends really supported you Mm -hmm. and how you kind of like, like talk a little bit about that a little, I felt like you really emphasized how much people came alongside you when you, you know, were in the dorms Mm -hmm. or, you know, out of the dorms type thing. Yeah. So, um, I had a lot of people like that first year, it was kind of hard because a lot of the, uh, people that were black, they dropped out. They were like, I can't do this. Like this is, I cannot. And I'm like, I respect that. You know, everybody's journey is different. And so for me though, like I talked about before, my parents grew up in a predominantly white anything, school, anything, neighborhood. So they, they kind of taught me and prepped me how to be in that. So I didn't really care about that. But what I found very connective is the international students. So my roommate was Colombian. So she went into this place, they called it the IPO at the time. And everybody else was international. And so I noticed that they had all these different views and they looked like they had, they were so accepting and I didn't feel like I had to be a certain way with them. And I think that that is something that has helped me transition into that social, like undergrad, like college experience. Because at the time, I think in my house, it was a Colombian, Bosnian, me, um, and uh, it was an African country, I believe. It was just so diverse. So I wasn't just focused on like, oh my gosh, like I'm the only black person. And I get it. I'm not, I'm not knocking how that feels for other people because I, I'm sitting on the privilege that my parents, you know, prepare me for that. What I was thinking of is like, I have at least some form of diversity and diversity through region, diversity through religion, diversity through, you know, food, culture, all of these different things. And so I felt like my circle that I created was so diverse in so many different things. And that has helped me because when you have so many people coming from different places, so many things are just so acceptable, like Mm -hmm. so acceptable. And so I think that that friend group helped me so much because again, my Colombian roommate did not bat an eye. She was like, okay, everybody's hair is like different. So we're we're gonna figure it out. My Bosnian uh, roommate, I was hangry all the time. And her mom, she actually, her mom came, from Bosnia, it was it was a specific war. I feel so bad um, that I don't remember that. Um, and so her culture was intact, you know. And so her mom made everything. I'm talking cheese, milk, like like everything was made by hand. And so she passed that down to uh, my friend. And so she would teach me how to, you know, cook food at home. And something that we do sounds so funny, but I love is that it was very normal for you to like eat with your hands or like eat on a table. Like, I mean, really, you don't really have to have plates, silver. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like everything was so cool. So like, I think subliminally those small things over time taught me to like find a way to be different. Like it's okay. Like 
that this is so acceptable. Like there are so many different routes and ways to pursue what you want. And so the Colombian, Bosnian, um, I had a South African friend. Um, I had like, there was just so many different countries that went to Loris surprisingly, like, but like that went to Loris. And I think that, that those are those subconscious things that take to teach me like, you can do this, you know, it's going to be hard, but I've never met anybody who was on the top of their food chain that didn't have to go through some crazy crap. Like nobody has this perfect journey, Mm -hmm. but then, um, yeah. So I think that, yeah, that friend group helped me in those different ways for sure. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, of course. Do you think, um, part of it was like, you also kind of experienced the the culture shock together. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and I think I think us having that space to be like, yo, what? <laughs> what like at least 5 times a day was like super good. Um and I think if I didn't have that, that would have changed a lot. So when people don't have that, I know for a fact that that kind of plays a role and how you just like navigate um in something that we all learned is called code switching. So you can tell like, um, I have, I have a lot of friends who naturally have an accent from wherever they come from, but if they go out in public, they will try to sound as American as possible just to avoid all questions. And my other roommate, she was from South Dakota. This was my junior year, I believe. And oh my gosh, my girl love her so much. Um, she was super open too. she came from a town of like, I don't know, like 600. I don't know. But like the most how her parents raised her, like you would just never like you would never guess that that stereotype if I came from 600 people. So I have no idea how to talk, how to, you know, interact or like, I, you know, that thing she was very much so you're a person. You, you tell me how you feel, you know, I feel that way, you know. So she was also another person that helped me embrace, you know, being black or my hair and things like that. But um, I forget, I was like losing my tangent. But a, a side note from her is that she also, like she was also that, that person that helped me you know, navigate that journey of like that culture shock. She was like, bro, just tell me what it means. Like, why did you switch your voice when you talk to your mom that way? And I was like, honey, I'm not switching my voice. That's how I talk. I switched my voice with you. She was like, but why? And so we, and I, I seriously love her because she was like, I was able to show my friends that this is an example of like a black to white relationship in the way of questions that is just so normal. It's so like, she has such a humanistic um, approach about it. It wasn't like, oh my God, this is so weird. It was just like, oh, so how come you do this? Oh, really? Oh, that's super cool. Okay, how come this? So it's not the questions that ever bother me, ever. It was for her, she was the first person really to ask questions and be just so... I guess human in the process. I don't really know how to explain that. And so the biggest thing with the code switch is that I did not notice that I was that good at it, that I couldn't even pick up like, what does she mean by like, what did I talk differently with my sister, with my mom than with her? Um, And so, yeah, when you say that culture shock, it was really good to have a space to, for you to just talk about how that in itself was just so hard. I mean, and I kind of explain it like this, like say for you, like as a white person, if you were to go into an all black school, do you think that you'd be all the same? Like you'd be a culture shock. And he's like, whoa, okay. You know, they express very different. You know, the food is different, you know, all of those different things. But for a lot of people, just imagine if you 
were removed from that. And then now you're stuck in that for years. And it's like this longing for what you grew up with of what your parents um, made you, the conversations that you had, how you expressed yourself. Those things were some some things that we talk about of like, man, I just kind of want it back, you know, and and how we did it. We didn't have conversations about it, but we just actively tried to create that own space for ourselves. And we knew once we leave that space, we kind of put on our, you know, a face. And then when we come back as girl, let me tell you, you know, like that type of deal. So that was, that was super fun. So yeah. Um, that's kind of that culture shock thing. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about when we first sat down here, you talked mm-hmm. about obviously your struggles, the transition, getting to grad school mm-hmm. and how the main focus of our conversation wasn't just the families first, mm-hmm. but more self-connection, self-empowerment. Yes. Yes. Talk. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think families first, like I said, it was kind of this disguise because to be honest, I really care nothing about me being my family's first in a lot of the things. It's more about what was learned in the process of that. And I think that as individuals, if we understand so much of ourselves or if we remove this like mental barrier that we have on ourselves, we can be something just so beautiful beyond this world. Like, I mean, what, what the human body can think, do behave is so very interesting. And so the family's first was just something like, I don't know, like it's something obvious. Like I'm the first in my family to do a lot of different things, but underneath that, what I really wanted to really talk about is the self-empowerment of women of people, of normalizing for me, like I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to tell you these details of how my life was crappy and not in a way of like, it's crappy and let's just talk about it and let's sit in this hurt because it is important to talk about how that hurt me. It is important for me to talk about, you know, and just spend space in that time. But I think that a lot of people that I've met, they just, they stay there. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest thing for me underneath that, that disguise of families first is how to empower women to like, let's complain about things. Let's talk about that hurt. Let's talk about our oppression, but let's also simultaneously, let's also move from that, you know, like let's actively work together. And I think that sometimes some people don't, I guess, teach you that you can do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so um, kind of like during my time, of uh, my master's, I was working full time. I was going to school full time. I had a part time job. I was doing my internship. I was doing community like I had community connections that I had to maintain. Um, I was also doing things for, you know, my family. But then I'm also trying to be this good sister. I'm trying to be this good girlfriend, you know, a friend, all these different things. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to go out and do those different things. What I'm saying is that that self-empowerment of understanding that there was seasons to everything. So what helped me through it and what I'm trying, what I was trying to kind of say in my speech is that teaching ourselves that when times are tough, look at it as a season, you know, like this is only for a period of time in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I knew for a fact, like that was not easy slinging all that. Like that was not easy by any means, but I knew for a fact it was going to come to an end and it was going to be worth something, you know, and, and, and making sure that I find time to do things that I like to do. I mean, still kind of my favorite thing is sleep, you know? So I love sleeping. I'm telling you, it's the benefits of sleeping. Oh my God. You and Adele can talk about sleep. Priority. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, um, sleep was, was my favorite activity during that time. No (laughs) lie. Um, but, but 
treating certain things as seasons and I had to teach myself like, honey, this is a season. Okay. Like this will come to an end. So sometimes when I talk to like undergrad students, I'm like, this is four years. This is a, this is a four year season. Like this is not how life is going to be. But what, what can happen during this time is we're going to start developing mental resources, like things that we can rely on when we're out of this season, we're going to develop certain habits, uh, certain patterns and things like that. We're going to grow because what, what I would love for is for you to look back on that season and like how you're looking back on it. It's like, Oh, I did do that differently. Oh, I'm doing this differently now, you know, and you're constantly growing, even if it's in the smallest, smallest, slightest way, always telling yourself that I've won in some form, in some way. Um, but I think that the biggest thing that I wanted to kind of relay is sometimes us ourselves or our family oppress us more than we think that the system is. I feel like I'm gonna get canceled real quick. Y'all, please listen to me, okay? Please, please listen to me. I am not saying that the system is not doing harm because it is. I am saying that sometimes our generational culture and a lot of that our culture is rooted in trauma and it shouldn't be passed down like it I mean those survival tactics are only supposed to be for you know a period of time and you you find that you know survival uh, tactics in the black community right now is the same as slavery I'm like that was things to help people you know mentally get over certain situations things like no don't cry don't tell them about how you're feeling oh no don't do this don't do that you can't go out you can't do this all that you can't you're telling your kids so much of what they can't do I think that that oppresses that child more than this system and again I am not trying to get canceled this system does do harm but what I wanted in my speech is how much does our culture of our specific like region that we come from how much is that oppressing us honestly like when we think about it a lot of people can think about what they can't do versus what they can't do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, even like the mother to the child or like the parental figure to the child, like how much is that parent oppressing that child before the system can even oppress it itself, mm -hmm. you know? And so that, that's something that I wanted to teach them. It's like, not that you have to remove yourself from this culture or you have to leave your family. That's not what I'm saying is when we just sit back and think about certain things of oppression and we understand that it's a little bit closer to us than we think that teaches you that you have a little bit control over it because this government and things, I don't know how much control we have because we got to work as a unit. And sometimes it's hard for people to work as a unit. So you have more luck working on your own unit and challenging your culture, challenging your mental you know, uh, bears that you have and, um, normalizing having conversations about it, because I don't think that I would be able to be who I am and be able to think this deep and all this, if I didn't have therapy. And again, just like education is not the answer to everything. Therapy isn't the answer to everything, but mm -hmm. I knew that that was my way out. Like I knew for a fact, like I was that type. I didn't know at the time. <laughs> I thought this was completely normal. When I found out um, how helpful therapy was, every single session I came with a notebook and that notebook says what I did wrong last week and I want to talk through it, what I did right, what I got questions on and what the heck is this section, you know? And every single session, I think I did therapy for two and a half years, I believe. 
There was no, I mean, it's probably like probably two, three times that I came without a note. And I didn't notice that that was not abnormal. And she didn't tell me until I ended. She's like, I just want you to know that that is something that is very different. Like people don't come into therapy and do, but I'm like, when I, and um, we'll get into kind of. Also, you're like, how does anyone remember everything? Yeah, I I can't. I can't. And that's that's why I was like, can you repeat that, please? Okay, let me write that down. And so like, I noticed that for me, I had to work on it at home. Like I'm not. Mm-hmm. just working on it for this 50 minutes that I'm with you. Um, but then also I'm a sponge, but I can't remember everything. And that's what I don't like about myself. And I'm like, I gotta, you know, write this down. I'm the same way. I have to write everything down. Yeah. I'm just like, Oh my goodness. And so like when I first learned in therapy, like, um, I think they referred a book. I cannot, I read so many books because I was not about reading books in college because why? You want me to get an A and I got to forcefully read? I'm not about to have any leisure reading. (laughs) But once I, once I came back from being in the hospital, so I was um, referred to the mental health hospital. And um, for me personally, that was such a breath of fresh air. Oh my God. I was like, first, of course, my mom was not about, you do not tell anybody this. We do not talk about this, you know, super serious. And so I did keep it. And I thought it was this horrible thing for years. And I was like, uh, it is it's so interesting because when I do slap it in conversations, you'd be so surprised how many people have walked that same line. I'm yes. like, huh, you know? And so after that, you know, they, they kind of taught me how to prep for that outside world. And then through that too, they did outpatient therapy through uh, back home. And so when I would go to my therapist back home, when she, she basically empowered me in the way of, you have a choice to make your, your life better. And I hope I don't get canceled here either. I say a lot of cancelable things, but what I appreciate is that my therapist didn't look at me and say, because you're black, you're having all of this because you're black, you know? And it's like, it's not even about her being white or anything. If anybody was in position and tell me it's because you're black and the system is doing this, I don't think that I would move from that. Like, I, I think that it's something that I know, yes, but tell me something I got control over, you know, and in mm-hmm. my mental health, in terms of how to make my situation better, in terms of how to navigate and understand why I behave the way I do, I have control over. And so spending that time then, oh my God, that has it's moved huge. me miles beyond right. what I thought. And so that's what my empowerment is. It's like, and I know it was Black History Month too. And so I tried to slide that in there. Uh, but my biggest technique is not to focus on those obvious things. And I know it seems like, excuse me, like why that, that, that is something. And I'm like, I'm not taking it. And my biggest thing in my speech is hold two realities at hand at all times without yeah. moving. The first reality is it is very true that this system works actively against people of color. I'm not taking that away just because I'm trying to empower you. You know, it's and a lot of people kind of drop one of those two. They always like, it has to be one or the other. No, 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 let's work together. I am never taking this away. What I'm doing is I'm acknowledging this and we're working on this one, okay? Because this is something we know and this is something we can work on. And so kudos to my therapist for seeing that through because she understood that at the time that I saw her, I was the only black woman in my grade. I just was, you know? And so she understood the isolation She and she acknowledged that. But she didn't pity that. She didn't like, oh, we need to sit in this. We need to do this. If I wanted to sit in it, she she would have said like, yeah, we can sit in it. But she focused more on like, hey, I think there are some other things going on that is playing a major role in your life right now. And when I found out like, hmm, my, my, my family is 
really chaotic and that's why I act the way I do man okay you know and it wasn't just sitting there like my mom made me feel this way my mom didn't do this my dad didn't do this like I sat in that but I held that second reality at that same time I'm at an age where I can do something about it tell me what I can do about it and so I was this was a work in progress with me and my therapist how old were you sorry to interrupt oh no you're good so I was Junior year, so 17, 18, 19. Okay. So I was 19. Okay. Now, oh, I came back from the hospital on my 20th birthday, actually. So 19th or 20th birthday. I was 20th. Right how old you were. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't go to therapy until after college. So mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. kudos for you going during. Yeah. I and did some heavy work during those years. Not for sure. Most kids can. No, oh, no. It was very isolating. So after that, I didn't really have friends from like junior year to like senior year. I'm talking about and not in the way that they did anything. It's when you have that self-reflection and you understand that you're having friends only because you're pouring into them more because you didn't get poured into or, you know, that person is actually more draining than it's giving. And so you are met with this reality of like, I I never really cared for drinking only because I didn't, I didn't feel like it did anything for me. Like it did for everybody else. Not in the way like I'm better than everybody. Like, no, it was just in the way of like, if I had to mask this alcohol, I probably shouldn't drink it. Like with coffee, I just don't drink it because I'm like, if I had to put this much milk and sugar and all, just don't drink it. Okay. Just find something else. And so for me, like I found that like a lot of those activities or a lot of like my friends were not about like I just wasn't about it and they were not about me not being about it. And it's like, what is wrong with you? And part of me was like, oh, my God, you missed out on the college experience. But nah, I don't really feel like I did. Like, I mean, that's just my personal experience. Mm-hmm. So kind of that like um, those ending years, my circle, some of those people that I described, they've already transferred by the time like this has happened. They've already been um, gone. But the other part, it's nothing against them. They were always that same friend that I, you know, adored freshman year. It's just, I was growing at a different pace. And so I never challenged it because I understand that this is the four years that people have to just party and go crazy and do all these other crazy things and it'd be acceptable. So let them do it. So I never bashed anybody, but it became very lonely that year and a half of like, Ooh, you know, so doing that hard work. But for me, I thought it was so worth it because of just my family structure and like how that took a toll on me. I had no idea what I choose to eat had to do with trauma. Get out of here. And I was always uh, like the person I was surrounded by people that saying, you're thinking too deep into this. Oh, that's just nah. It's not even that deep, bro. Come on, chill out. It ain't even that deep, bro. And it's like, ah, I think it really is that deep. You know, when you get down into it, it is that deep. So yeah, I was, it was a lot of um, hard work that I personally enjoy. I was actually obsessed with. Um, and that's why to my senior year, well, kind of like the junior year when my friend was talking about psychology, I'm like, I think that I, I think, I think that I want to do that. Like, I think that I want to work like with people and just like normalizing this conversation and da, 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 da. And I didn't think about being a therapist until like, I don't know, like it was kind of a decision. Like that's why I wanted to get social work in case I don't want to be a therapist. I want to be something else like that involves helping people, but I still feel so connected to both ideas. Um, but yeah, so kind of that long winded thing of like my biggest thing that I wanted people to take from that is holding two realities in your hand always Mm -hmm. you don't have to abandon them and so the biggest one is I understand that I am oppressed as a black woman I know that from Chicagoland with a complicated name like I get that 
The second thing is anything that somebody tells me, no, there is somebody willing to tell me yes. There is no way that I would be able to buy a house at 23 years old if I'm just sitting about like how I can't do this and can't do that. Because in the process, oh yeah, I had people like judge me about this and did, you know, tell me the no's and the complicated things. Like I knew that. And I just kind of knew that that was going to happen. But I know for a fact there was two people that's willing to, okay, when that happens, you come to me about it. You come to me about this, you do this. And so there was always somebody willing to help help in the process, but also in the way that I'm doing my part as well. So I, I, I think that a lot of people around me, they get stuck in the way of like, this person isn't doing this for me, but it's like, honey, are you doing your part too? Because it's going to be a reciprocal relationship because if that person is drained, like they have to abide by their boundaries as well. And so I have to make sure that in this process, I'm playing my A game as well. I'm making sure that they know that I'm very appreciative. If I need to cold switch, I will. I know people are like, that's so cancelable. You should be yourself. Not if I want a damn house, okay? I'm sorry. I'm not, I did not need a curse. But I want my house. I know what I need. So if I need to code switch for these like two weeks, I will do it, honey. I will do it. It's okay. Um, like I, it's, it's about playing this game. There's nobody that exists in this world that didn't have to sacrifice something. Okay. And when we understand that we have to go through muck to get to something, I think that we will work together because a lot of people talk when they get to that top. I think that they come from a family. If you don't talk about this, you don't talk about that. So a lot of people think that to get to the top is supposed to be this linear thing. Mm. you know and I had to be okay with like in the in the past I messed up you know there are some things that I just messed up and sometimes I'm like oh my god I'm scared what if I get canceled like there's a video of me acting crazy and wild at the club and you know whatever and it's like though I wasn't drinking somebody can easily say that oh she was a neighbor you know and they can just twist and I'm like yeah you'll deal with it then you know like mm -hmm. it, everybody has went through a journey in life everybody's has had mistakes everybody has went through something in life and making sure that we go through that and understand that we can keep going like we can so when i see things about people like it actually like i'm one of the persons i get pissed when people dig up something from 19 years ago that really doesn't have anything to do with that famous person now i'm like come on bro like if it was something that they're continuously doing now that's very important don't get me wrong that's very important but if it's i'm like oh my god that's like, so sickening yeah that's yeah. so sickening and so i feel like i am that that different person that um don't talk to me about the obvious. Talk to me about what's not obvious because um, I think that that helps. So like even in um, when I meet with students, obviously you're here for academics, but I rarely talk about academics. Why? Because if I talk about you as a person, if I see when's the last time you ate, when's the last time you pooped? A lot of people think that that's so weird, but you don't understand. If you're not pooping, baby, the things that go on, and it's so funny because they're like so weirded out at first. And then I see one student come in my office. Hey, so Charity, don't tell anybody, but uh, I was able to poop yesterday. So uh, can we uh, actually try that? Like, you know, like the juice or, you know, whatever it was. And they feel so much better. And I'm like, when you talk about those things aside from the obvious, baby, they can achieve that obvious. I can guarantee you, you know, and we can work together. And so we talk about things all the time. So there's no off limits here. When it comes to like food, digestive system, things. Oh, we have like voice text between the two of us. Like, oh, it's been a rough morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, I, and you're I, normal, I think. Yeah. 
yeah. right? Like digestively, even female things. Like oh, for sure. We're so all just human, right? Yeah. And it plays a massive part, especially if kids are transitioning from out of town. Food different. Mm-hmm. Things look different. Like resources look different. Mm-hmm. Like that, and just how like stress manifests in your body. Oh, oh my God! If we had time for another podcast, <laughs> I really would love to come over for a completely separate podcast about just like those things that we all go like and this is no knock against my mother because she did she's just doing things that her mother did but then uh you know I pray uh I don't know how to really transition on this but my mother was um my grandmother was killed and so this was when I was three months and so she was the baby my mom got everything that she ever wanted you know they did everything for her and she was on her way to the house to her mother's house to find she was the one that found that she was killed you know Mm -hmm. and so I can understand that that trauma that goes with that in addition to that, a lot of people would cancel me. I look at my mother to this age of 26 years later, you have the right to kind of better your situation. You know, you have the right to grieve of your mother and understand that these things caused these different reactions within you. But also you have four children looking up to you as a mother, you know? And I'm not saying that it's this easy process, one, two, and done. I'm not a mother, so I'm not gonna sit up here and say, this mother is, you know, mother thing is easy and she can only do steps. Like, I'm not looking for a perfect mother at all. I'm just looking for a person or, you know, a mother or even a person that can sit back and realize and say, this thing has caused a turmoil on my life. I had no control over it at that time, but right now I have some form of control to make my life situation, like my life, my situation, my relationships better in some way, some form. What I don't agree with is when people are met with that idea and they continuously like just blame the parents, blame the situation, blame Mm -hmm. this. And this doesn't have to do with my mom. This is just people in general. Cause I noticed that I started to do that. It's like, I was going to fall really into my mom didn't do this or my dad didn't do this or my friend did this. And it's like, okay, Sharni, but we are an adult right now. Okay. We have access, we have privilege in some way, some form, some fashion. What are we doing for it? Mm -hmm. You know, cause you can soak in it, but you can also do something about it. Mm And so when I say that, a lot of people think that that's way too harsh, but I don't think so. I mean, because I'm not telling you, you can't do something. All I'm at, all I'm doing is adding a second component to it. I'm saying that we can talk about it. We can, we can sit in it. We can have conversations about it because I think it is important. What I think is imbalanced is how long we sit in it, mm-hmm. you know, and how long we allow that to narrate our lives. You know, that, mm-hmm. that was our narration of life. And the biggest thing that my therapist told me is, okay, that person took... How many years was I 19? That person took 20 years of your life. You're going to let them take another 60? I was like, hell no. No, thank you. No, thank you. And that was a big one. It's like, oh my God, I do have rights. Like I do have a a way to make the situation better and change. This episode of And We Go On is sponsored by Flatted Fifth Blues and Barbecue. Come experience where the blues and barbecue of Beale Street meets the jazz and Cajun food of Bourbon Street at this from scratch kitchen in Bellevue, Iowa. Known for their incredible house smoked meats and Southern specialties, Flatted Fifth has been featured by Southern Living Magazine, Food and Wine Magazine, and the Iowa Tourism Awards. Grab a bite at Flatted Fifth at their flagship Bellevue, Iowa location in the historic Potter's Mill or at their debut kitchen inside Dimensional Brewing Company. For more information, head to pottersmill.net. It's interesting that you mentioned that because for a long time I did blame 
my parents for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't put me in certain things. They didn't Mm -hmm. put me in different settings. They didn't X, Y, and Z. And then I got to the point where I was like, you know what? They did the best they could with what they had at the time that they, they did. Mm -hmm. And how am I going to do differently as I move forward? And I, as I become a parent Mm -hmm. and that was for a long time, like I probably, I don't think I ever voiced how frustrated I was Mm -hmm. because who wants to blame their parents when I had massive amounts of privilege, like Mm. massive, like Uh I don't want, I don't want to be mad, Mm -hmm. but I also like that anger go somewhere. Yeah. Or those questions go somewhere. And I, for, I, I totally, I get it in that sense of just like, how do you sit with something process it, but also add that other component. It's, it's big. And, and like I said, I wouldn't be able to sit here and, and have this conversation or think as deeply as I, I do, or have this emotional maturity if I didn't have a therapist, because in the way of therapy, it helps guide the journey that you want. So, so I told her what I wanted. I want it out of my situation in the way if I want to control, like I don't want to have an emotional reaction and then boom, my body acts a certain way. Mm-hmm. I want to behave a certain way. I want to understand that, Hey, I'm having an emotion. And then I have a choice to behave in that next fashion. I don't want it to be this simultaneous, like I'm done for that. Mm -hmm. And so she understood that that's what I wanted. So she helped put those different things in place um, for me to be able to do that. And so one thing that I loved is she referred books. Like knowing I was in college, like I'm like, I know you are not in a college setting right now, but do you know that I am not a reader? Like I'm not trying to, but she put it in my court. This is, this is, that was kind of like the first if you're going to take control of your journey, you know? Um, and I did, and she, she kind of rolled with me. I was moving fast in therapy. And at the end she did tell me, I've never met somebody move so fast at the age that you were and take control. But I wanted out. I am telling you, I was so sick of being a people pleaser. Like, but I felt like I had no choice, but to people please, but then to connect it to, Hey, you had to be a performative child. If you didn't perform in a certain way, you weren't getting certain things. Like I got a lot of like extended silent treatments and I just hated that. And I'm like, well, if I perform in this way, then like I, the silent treatment's done. And so over time I became a people pleaser. And I'm like, if I perform in a certain way, then it's going to yield a certain response from you. And so it was just like, just something as simple as that, that changed my entire narrative of how I um, take control of my life and like what I'm doing differently. And Um, function with other people. Yeah. Oh my God. I started to understand, baby, I kept a lot of people around that I just shouldn't. And I'm like, and even when I got in this relationship and I was furious of myself like why would you allow somebody to treat you that why would you what is that and the thing is my therapist helped me understand honey that was your childhood you knew that there was nothing different in that situation the only difference was rather than a woman that was the male and you felt like you had a chance to change something that caused you so much chaos so that's why you stayed in it you wanted to because when you're younger you don't have the language you don't have the resource you don't know how to really fix the situation but now you're older so you think that you can but in reality it's like teaching myself that I don't even have to go near that situation to even feel that I need to take that part of my childhood back you know and so um, kind of to your point too when you say that sometimes parents try the best that they can with what they can I think that that is a statement to save parents I'm not saying that that's every parent, Mm -hmm. but I believe that some parents, they sit down and they hear that their child wants different from them. 
not in the way if you need to buy me Michael Kors, you need to buy me this. No, it's like, hey, if I'm sad, can we really talk about it? Mm -hmm. And when you dismiss that child, baby, that's not the best that you can do. No, the best that you can do is in that survival of like, you know, the 2008 recession. Oh, like that's the best that parents can do, you know? And I'm talking about during that time, whatever stress that came about, like that was very hard on parents, you know, mentally, physically, financially, all of those different things. But we're we're just talking about other parts of like just normality of Mm -hmm. when your child comes to you and they're saying that this is what will make our relationship better. And you just actively dismiss that baby. That is not the best. And so I, I try to tread lightly because again, I don't want to come across as I know what's best in motherhood when I'm not a mother. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking from my personal experience and that's it. Mm-hmm. Because I know that um, even just in the, in the black community, a lot of people don't agree with me because I take the approach of, I know what's obvious. Let's talk about something else. I'm not dismissing this. I am still just saying, let's focus on this one. And they, they think that in the process, I am just pandering to, to white supremacy in the way of like, oh, we're just going to sweep this under the rug. We're not. We're actively working against, like we're working two and two. And for me, even in, in uh, when I work in my job, like I am complaining about something while actively doing something about it. Because if you have a question, baby, I'm about to roll out this paper trail. Like my favorite thing too to do is have a paper trail of everything. Like, oh my God. It is interesting, but it's kind of like you can't question, you know, what I'm bringing to the table because you see that one, why this is a problem. You see the situations that has caused the problem. You now see multiple times that I have interacted, intervened, engaged, tried to change. You see that. And so these are things that like now we're actively talking about a problem. We're working towards it. We have an action plan. We have all these different things. And I'm not saying that everybody has to be that leader. This is just saying that we can hold two realities at hand without abandoning any of them. And you don't got to cancel me on that either, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I get it because I used to be that person. I used to be like, oh, it's because I'm black. Oh my God. I mean, because when you experience things and you know well that it is because you're black, like, but I never really saw a lot of people move from it. And I'm like, hmm. So when I start to catch on to things, it's like you hear me talk about it, but you don't hear me ruminate on it because it's the obvious that we all know. I don't think there's anybody that's not black and say, if I switch to being black, everything will be the same. I don't think that anybody. So everybody knows. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's more of like, what can we do with that? And so my biggest approach to my speech is not necessarily about, um, you know, the, the black oppression, but more of the self impression, uh, oppression. And the, the, the reason of that is simply because I think we have a little bit more control over that area and we can make a different life for ourselves. And I'm sitting on, on, on a plate of privilege. I understand having two degrees and having that ability to move because some people are like, well, I can't move from my neighborhood. And I get that. And so what I say all the time is I am just talking specifically about my personal experience because I know that everybody will be different. There's different levels of oppression that we have. Um, even like even in first gens, like there's so many people that are not black in first gens and they're still oppressed. Like their parents don't know anything that's going on for them. They don't they don't know how to help them. They come from like some of them come from farm um farmer families and like all they think about is like I got to do the farm like farmers what I learned being in Iowa oh my god to be a farmer what oh lord Jesus I'm like 
Oh my gosh. Like I actually did some research on farmers um, and found out kind of like quite a bit, but like understanding what that, what that means for the child, you know, what that means for career education, um, strength, you know, it's so much, Oh my God, I learned so much about that. But, um, that's kind of what my speech really focused, try to focus on, um, and try to like empower and not get canceled and, Let's let's come on. Let's make this community of what we want. Let's create what who we want in ourselves, because every person walking around here, I don't care if they have 30 million dollars. I can guarantee you they have went through some stuff in life. People think that money equates for uh, perfect uh, mental health. Money equates for absolutely no problems. And I get I feel like my friends hate when I say that because they're like, no, it is about that. They have money. They have money. So they didn't experience this. I get that. But okay, if we're going to go through that, okay, the worst neighborhoods that we were living in, I can guarantee you that got nothing on Syria. They have nothing on these different countries that are going through war that have absolutely no water. So what if somebody came to you and told you that you are living at a uh, plate of privilege that you can't experience any mental health, anything because you have a running toilet because you have food on your table. Like what? Like that? No, let's slash that idea. Let's slash it without canceling me. (laughs) But like um, those, those different things. And I, I just feel like I do challenge a lot of things that keep the narrative going of like that keep us small. And I'm just like, the reason of why I'm saying it isn't because I want to dismiss anybody, but I love people so much that I want them to connect to themselves. I want you to understand what is it that you truly like, what you truly don't like. You know, th- those are the things that I want. And those, I guess it's sacrifice uncomfortable conversations or challenging things that you followed for years and never question, you know, but I'm not trying to offend anybody in the process. I'm not trying to, you know, create this Charnay wave. No, I just, I just want you to be you, you know, understand who that is. But, and I think challenging that, that's one thing I feel like one of the reasons we started She Unites and was that both. Adele and I were transplants coming into mm. Dubuque, struggling to find women. And mm. I and I told mm-hmm. her I was, you know, when we when we became friends, I was like, I feel like there's a lot of really badass women in this town, oh. and I want to find them. And um, I feel like, it, and it has started. I feel like with She Unites, like women coming out of the woodwork, women wanting to speak, wanting to share, like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, their stories, wanting to share their education, wanting, you know, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. wanting to share their gifts. And I think that that's been really cool to watch in the last two years. Um, and not even to just know that like, we're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Which is like like my core, the hardest thing ever, because I'm like a two on the Enneagram. I'm an extrovert. I don't want people mad at me. I am a people person to my core. Like if I have to leave, if I have to like have boundaries with someone in my life or someone has to exit, it is like the hardest thing for me ever. Yeah. Which we can also, I want to quickly talk about like with you in the center real fast Mm -hmm. and how you got to that and just like you, how you got to that point. But Um, yeah, so kind of, can we share real quick? I know we're kind of going a little bit backwards but I feel no, like it's, it's okay. really important because sure. you didn't share that much when you spoke last month about it because I know we had a time, we were on mm-hmm. a time crunch, but how the center, like what did that look like for you? How did you get there? Can we talk a little bit about that if you want to share it? Yeah, in college, I was, um, I actually was dating this guy, my first ever, you know, boyfriend, um, way older than me. Um, and he kind of suggests I was that people pleaser still at this time. And I thought that because I never did anything with a guy, like never did anything that I 
made a kind like I was making a good choice by being with him. You know, I've never done anything. I've waited until I was think I was 19 at the time when I started dating him. And so I was like, okay, you know, things are going, going well, but I started to notice a lot of things were just not adding up. And, um, it was just, I mean, he would suggest me like quitting school because I was just so like, I, I would get these or like, I told you, like, I was just not having a good time in college. And he was just like, oh, I'm, um, he was self-employed for some insurance place and he made like a decent amount of money. So he was just trying to tell me like, you can make money and you can do this. And I'm just like, man, this is not adding up. And he would try to get me to do a lot of things that I was just not about. But I'm like, no, Sharda, you wait until you're 19 and do anything with a guy. You, this is the guy that you want. And so it, it really went too far with him. Um, and a lot of things kind of came out of that. A lot of, um, not repercussions, but a lot of trickle effects came out of that. And I wasn't able to focus on school because of it. And I'm not close with like my family structure. We really just talk about surface level things. And so I had no out, like this is when I didn't know about therapy at all. Um, and so I would say like, it was a day where I had enough. Like I just, I didn't know any route, any way out. Like, I'm like, I, I'm always about like, okay, I got to do this. I gotta, I, there was nothing that came in my mind. And so I cannot remember. I know I was talking to my roommate and my roommate called someone and um, I basically had to like stay at Laura's college until my parents came. And then uh, they had a conversation with my parents and they were just saying like, hey, like we can't talk about like too much information right now, but she's just been in a really uh, bad relationship with her, uh, you know, boyfriend at the time. And it has caused so much that I, I really don't think that she can continue college and she would have to go to a mental health institution to really unpack and really just go through all of that. Um, and the lovely mother that my mom is, my dad took it pretty serious. He was pretty serious about it, but my mom, like she does not know how to deal with emotions at all. So she's just like, we're in the car and she goes, oh girl, I got you a pumpkin pie. You know, you know, you like that pumpkin pie. And so it was just like, I was still like in that understanding of like, I need to remove myself from emotions. Like if I'm going through something bad, like think about something happy. And I, you know, so I was, uh, what do you call it? Um, optimistic, dis no disassociating. Oh. Yes. So I was always, and I didn't, I didn't know that until therapy, like I was constantly disassociating. And so those were the, the small things that kind of built up. But then I didn't know at the time as well, not having an outlet with my family, not having that conversation, uh, being in a relationship where I feel like I couldn't tell a lot of people because they would judge me because he's older, you know, all of those different things kind of, and then also being a first gen in college, being so removed from like my culture, all of those different things just piled up that day um, of me going to the mental health institution. And so when I got there, like I felt embarrassed because I can feel my mom's embarrassment, you know, I can feel her disassociating, you know, all these different things. And so I got there and I didn't say a word, like I couldn't sleep. And they say like the first few days you can't sleep, um, um, so that's fine. I think I spent a total of six, seven days around there. Um, so I start talking about the third day. I never actually told anybody why I was in there, like why the true, true reason was um, because I just, I could not come to like grips about it. So I just talked about my relationship and the details of, you know, all those different things. Um, and so we had a social worker that did group therapy and I was like, man, this is actually pretty good. Like I was in there with a teacher. I was in there with a lawyer. I was in there with a lot of pretty high up there people, you know, and I'm just like, huh? So I'm not crazy, you know? And I mean, just because in media and that's what ticks me off is media makes therapists and, you know, these mental health institutions seem like this 
really horrible idea. And I'm not saying that everybody's experience is like mine by any means at all. I just know there was so much, like it was really helpful. Like they prioritized feeding you. Like they, they prioritize um, having conversation about your mental health. Um, just like things that kind of transpire to you getting here and then they prep you to leave as well. And so kind of all in a, in a bubble, those seven days was so good. I, I really didn't even want to go back. And that's probably why they have like that specific institution is probably why they have a lot of uh, problems with people re reentering. I don't know what that word is called, yeah. but they treat you so well that you, you don't get that treatment anywhere else you feel like. And so you go back and so you have a lot of people. Um, but I didn't regress until I think like halfway into it because I I did have um, a person in there that experienced a lot um, of episodes of different things. And so I thought that like I was this bad person, you know, all these different things. But my dad visited every single day. And uh, like the fact that he just didn't even care about where I was, but cared about how I was. And I would say like my mother, <laughs> it was kind of a little bit the opposite, you know, um, and when they referred me to outpatient therapy um, there, I was really, I was like, okay, I can do this. You know, I felt really, like, I feel like a lot of people help me in here that a person can help me out, you know? And so that's kind of what transpired me getting into the uh, mental health institution, how I felt during it, and then how that set me up to be out of it um, in a way. So I just felt like I just had helpful resources. I had a lot of people that were in some really high-end jobs that were in there and they gave me an opportunity to just take a break because like I was juggling a lot, being so underdeveloped, under-resourced, like it was just a lot. So I, yeah, that's kind of, um, there's actually no questions that you can ask me that I'm like, what Natalie? If you could go back and tell your 19 year old self something like, what would that be? Like when you were in that relationship, like, were there any red flags? Or, <laughs> you, I mean, you said that there was a lot of things uh -huh. that you were like, why didn't I, you know, I questioned it, but why didn't, mm -hmm. like, why wasn't there any movement? Because I, I have been in situations mm -hmm. like that where I'm like, there was red flags up, but I, I was like paralyzed, like I For couldn't sure. move. You know For what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I, I always struggle with that question because I'm like, mm, if I would have said anything, I wouldn't have, have had the passion I have now. But I would say this, if I were to say one thing to my younger self, it will be this, is that your brain will actively um, protect you. So this is why you forget a lot of things because it is protecting you from that level of a lot of things that happen within traumatic situations or whatever, but the body never, ever forgets. And so we actively as people, if we hear our stomach growl, we're like, oh, we're hungry. If we have a headache, we're like, I probably should drink water, right? But that's as far as we really go, right? There was so much that the body speaks to you and you think that it's chronic illnesses, but it's actually mental health related. You know, you think that it's like these aches and pains because you walked a certain way, but in reality, it's that body speaking to you. So that body will never forget anything that you ever went through and it never forgets how to alert you and how to inform you of certain things. Mm -hmm. That brain will, because again, we can't sit there in that high adrenaline, you know, um, that space is just, it's not, it's not fathomable for the brain to do. So like you will actively forget a lot of things, but that body will always teach you, talk to you, um, inform you of so many different things. And so if I were to talk to my younger self is understanding and researching body aches or 
certain like the 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 biggest thing is the gut the gut reaction. But I'm like, bro, my gut can't even take cheese. You think I'm actually <laughs> listening to this? But like, but like in reality, yes, it, it teaches you a lot. And so I would tell my younger self that the body is speaking to you. Listen to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, I always tell myself this. I am sitting on the most privilege that my bloodline has ever experienced in their life. If I got a question, I have access to it all. I mean, in multiple different things. And so telling myself, if I have a question, if I am wondering about this, isn't this research, but then effectively researching, because like, not just looking at Wikipedia, you know, not looking at the first (laughs) thing or like some people be like, Oh, the study says this. And I'm like, that study was done on 34 people. That's yeah. not a study, honey. Like, Can we pass that larger net? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, those different things. So if I could tell my younger self something, yeah. it would be that for sure. Totally. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. cool. I like that. Because everyone I feel like always says, like, listen to your, like, listen to your gut, especially mm-hmm. like your female gut is always right. Oh, but yeah. I do feel like it's more, like you said, mm-hmm. with the body, that's just kind of taking it to the next step. Yeah. And I would say just in general, something that I would want people to know. My dad always had this phrase, right? He goes, there's two important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you figure out why. And I'm like, hmm, interesting, right? But I take it a deeper level. Okay. So when I say, when he says the day you're born, I think the day you're born are, is the day that you understand, like, who you are as a person, like not even like deep, but you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Okay. So that's your first day. That second important day is you chasing, not even like a, a, like a run exhausting chase, but you chasing to find out who you truly are. Who are you without these gender roles, without these expectations of how, you know, women should be and, you know, all this other Mm -hmm. stuff. That day that you figure that out, that's when you won. So that first day is when you're aware that I am a human being and I have to have all these expectations, you know, it's a lot going on. That's the day that you're born, you know, and then the day you figure out why is the day that you connect to who you truly are. I think our life is is about this journey of finding who we truly are and really Mm -hmm. doing things that we are here to actually do versus Mm -hmm. like what's put on us in a way, if that makes sense. So that's something else that I'm like, oh. mm-hmm. my dad's probably like, wow, that was like a term right there. <laughs> you know, <but> like, <laughs> that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. So at the end, we always do like a rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have those written down? Because my mind is like going complete blank, probably because <laughs> it's so hard for me to ask questions and like, listen, sometimes mm-hmm. my listening overtakes my questioning. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for like, sure. I feel like also too, I love that we have now taken like our monthly program conversations and like your personal narrative mm-hmm. to like, this is why we wanted to do this podcast because we just get so much information in yeah. and like that next level it's just really fun so mm-hmm. yeah so uh questions that we usually wrap up with um first one um a woman that inspires you oh my god oh uh, a woman that inspires me i would say like inspired me was my therapist mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. for sure it was very much so hands off like this is about you um i'm not going to pressure into anything this is you know on you so i would say my therapist is one mm-hmm. that um inspired me that's yeah. cool. I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, let's see. Our next one is what kind of content are you currently consuming? So that can be books, TV, music, podcasts. Yeah. So um, it's going to be half books, but then my social media, I like I talked about, I, I specifically have it to an algorithm so that I can learn about a lot of different things about the spirituality, about the mental health, about uh, eating better. So like I've been obsessing, uh, creating my own garden. I did it last, like last summer, but, um, 
Yeah, a lot of mistakes on your first garden. So that's what I'm consuming right now is the most of like social media, how to how to grow myself healthy in a holistic way. You know, food, education, mental health, spirituality, those different things. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, your beverage of choice. You know, OK, to be honest. Since I've been dating my boyfriend, he noticed that I drank more juice than water. So I've been forcing myself to drink water. <laughs> what, what kind of juice? Any, I, had a, I had a sugar addiction. I didn't notice. But yeah, I had a sugar addiction. Anything that would give me that sugary taste, I would have it. Like I wouldn't do pop. And it was because of, you know, track house country or whatever. But um, I, would, I would try to have, it's called, what is it called? Like healthy something. It was like, kind of think about the ocean spray. Whatever. I don't know. Like one of those things. And it's kind of like... Um, cranberry and oh, pineapple yeah, yeah. or pineapple and mango, you know, whatever that is. And I know so, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah sure. So, I mean, because it said healthy, I was like, eh, but in reality, it wasn't. <laughs> so my beverage of choice right now has been water. Um, I've been getting into some V8s though oh, um, nice. to get some veggies. And so, yeah. Cool. Sounds so lame. Jesus Christ. It's okay. <laughs> it matches the hobbies at the beginning. It's- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, Final question. Uh, how do you define community? Man, you really got me on the spot. Community is something um, that grows um, yourself in multiple different fashions um, that you also feel some form of security in a way of safety um, and expression. So your community is something that you know that you can grow in, you feel safe in, and you feel secure. Oh, I love that. That was great. That was great. For I, on the spot. On the spot. crushed it. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to wrap that up. We're definitely yeah. breaking this puppy into two parts. Oh, for sure. I noticed that. We didn't even get to half the stuff, and I feel so bad. No, I feel bad. It's oh great. It was wonderful. It was great. So much good content. Thank you so much. Thank no, you for No, thank being you. Here. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to And We Go On. Check out our show notes for links and additional education. We would love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Be the first to sponsor And We Go On, a She Unites podcast. Get your name out in the community, in person, and online. For more info, email sheunitesiowa at gmail.com. She Unites is a 501c3 nonprofit organization registered in the state of Iowa. We are proud to be a 100% donation-supported organization. Our spaces, speakers, and programming are all gifted by those who support our vision because we are better together. If you feel compelled to join us in the She Unites mission, please donate at sheunitesiowa.com. Follow us on Instagram at sheunitesiowa for the latest and greatest from our organization.